Hello and welcome to Kremlins in the Basement, Real Sports World Cup podcast powered by Gfinity. I'm John McKenzie, football editor at Real Sport, and I'm joined as usual by three Kremlins in the basement. To my right, a man in mourning at the recent departure of David Davis and the inevitable failure of Brexit. It's Alistair Pusinelli. How are you doing, Big Al? Yeah, I mean, the England result was one thing, but David Davis going is a completely different kind of fish, <laughs> and I'm, I'm really struggling with it, John. <laughs> Uh, next, a man who's struggling so much with the absence of Harry Kane in England's green and pleasant land that he's thinking of flying out to Russia to be closer with him. Ollie <laughs> Steen, how are you? Uh, a little bit worse for wear after the weekend, a little bit worse for wear. Everyone seems a little bit down. Didn't manage honest. to get my ticket to Russia. Not uh, you to get one. No, I didn't get He'll one. He'll be back soon though, don't you worry. And finally, is that the young Henry Winter? Uh, returned like the ghost of football past to announce to us that football is coming home. Oh no, it's just Thomas Hill, Lopez Manchero. Thomas, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Also similarly pleased about England. Good. And we're here, as always, to bring you great football content from our basement in an undisclosed location in London. But before we begin, a reminder that the podcast is available on iTunes and as a result, the best thing you can do for us if you enjoy the podcast is to subscribe, rate and review. This gives us greater exposure, meaning more people can enjoy just how buoyant we all are this morning. So if you could do that for us, we would be extremely grateful. And one final reminder, a lot of the discussion that we have on this podcast is motivated by pieces that appear on our website, and you can find this content at www.realsport101.com. Let's work our way through the, the, the quarterfinals. Um, we'll start, we'll, we'll go chronologically, and we'll, uh, but we'll end with, with Sweden versus England, I think, so we can give a little bit more time to that. Hey. <laughs> uh, Uruguay versus France was somewhat of a staid affair. Uh, ended up being decided on uh, a header from a set piece and then a very poor piecing of mm. poor piece of goalkeeping from Muslera. Um but he never really felt as though the French were under much pressure uh, it was, so it was a weird game in that regard I think if you look at the XG plots um, France had about half the half the values of XG and their chance quality created so which suggests that that um, it was a somewhat un- unfortunate um, result that said, one thing that is important to note from these sorts of games is that when a team goes two goals up, and it's something we saw from the Brazil game as well, Brazil-Belgium, when a team goes 2-0 up, the opposition team then just has to go for it, which means they create a lot more chances, which means their chance quality value will be obviously higher. So how did you read this game? Was it was it job done for France, easy peasy, or, or was it huge elements of luck that sort of pushed it that way? It was sort of like a combination of the two, I guess. I don't think... I don't think France have hit top gear yet in this tournament yes they had that pretty topsy-turvy game against Argentina which was great for the neutral but you still get the impression that there's more to come from this French team whether Deschamps can deliver it we don't know in that game against Uruguay I think without Cavani the Uruguayans are always going to struggle um, yeah the France got France got the job done but they didn't overly exert themselves um, yeah a little set-piece goal those can happen and then Maslera I think the, just the simple reaction from Miss Lair, I think we all sort of felt it as a neutral way. He's just he's he's basically just dropped the World Cup and in inverted commas like that. That was not the way we wanted to see that game end. Hmm. Yeah, Alistair, you made the point about them obviously like failing to reach top gear. Yeah, but I, I just wonder if maybe like France are a team that don't really need to do that. Like they've got so many like quality players. Obviously, it does seem like Deschamps is holding them back a little bit. But I don't think he's the he's the necessarily the best manager for them um, for that kind of squad 
but like we saw against Uruguay just like two moments that's all they needed to break down to break down Uruguay two moments of like not even brilliance really in the in the Gris, in Griezmann's case um, and so I wonder if a little bit like Brazil they are a team a team based on those moments and they don't necessarily need to always be like firing on all cylinders yeah but I guess in Brazil's case as we'll go on to talk about it didn't work out in the yeah. end so is there, a tent, is there a sense in which France may well uh, come undone in the next couple of games very very possibly against Belgium I think Belgium probably going to be the biggest test they face so far but you know a lot, a lot of talk has obviously gone on about Didier Deschamps and how suitable he is for managing France but at the end of the day he's implemented a really efficient brand of tournament football and they might not be playing the scintillatingly attacking style of play that you'd expect from a team like stacked with that much talent but they're keeping clean sheets they're taking advantage of key moments they had two shots on target against Uruguay scored both and that's what you want in tournament football you it, you don't have to be playing at your best you just want efficiency and an ability to get the job done which which is what they're doing yeah I mean a lot of the the statisticians and the tacticians were telling us that, that both Belgium and France were managed by managers who were poor coaches uh, in many respects and yet both of the, those coaches are still in tournament and one of them will get to the World Cup final why do you think that the World Cup tactically has been so unusual in that regard it feels as though in the past I guess couple of decades it's the, the winner of the World Cup has tended to be one of the better technical teams um, who playing in, a, in, the, in the best manner whereas this time around it doesn't really seem to be any guarantee of, of anything like you can play poorly and still go uh, deep in the competition why do you think that would be the case? I guess there's just more of a focus on your collective as opposed to having uh, a greater degree of, of technical quality amongst your team. There's more focus on, on being organised and playing a style of football that perhaps emphasises those priorities as opposed to we've got the best players, we're going to outdo you in, in individual battles. I think there's more focus on, on team performances as a whole, which is what I think Deschamps has kind of instilled into France even though they are technically superior to a lot of teams they're playing as a side that perhaps aren't or, or would perceive themselves to be inferior mm. does anyone have anything to add on it's, that? I think Ollie's absolutely right I think people the people I say countries everywhere in the world is everyone's becoming more tactically aware more defensively solid and we've seen the passive teams i.e. Russia and Sweden do very well in this tournament for that exact reason teams are defending better and it's much harder to break down and so you you can't really rely on which is a shame you can't rely on free flowing football to, to get you the wins you have to rely on those set pieces which England have probably shown the most in this tournament and and that's what it is mm. um, in terms of Uruguay themselves they would we say that they've had a good tournament overall I mean we, there was a lot of people tipping them to get to the final itself um, again, they were like you say, they're a team who were they were very solidly set up. At, at least at the beginning of the tournament, they came out in four four two and were very hard to break down, but seemed to lack any sort of creativity going forward. And then they changed that up into more of a three five two, filled up their midfield a little bit more, and it gave them a little bit more of an edge. Do you think they'll be disappointed to be going? I mean, obviously every team is disappointed to be going home, but do you think they'll look back at this and say? on another day we could have taken this to France and, and, and been in the final I don't, I don't think they should be disappointed I think as you mentioned they changed their system to a more of a 3-5-2 I guess it kind of worked out as um, and, and that worked to an extent they, they played better but 
I think they've been shown up for being overly reliant on Edinson Cavani at the end of the day. And I think if you're relying on just one player and the system's not producing what the manager wants it to, I don't think you can be too disappointed with going home at a quarterfinal stage. I think that was good for Uruguay. I think that was what many perhaps expected <laughs> of them. Um, I, d I don't think they deserve to go any further. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree with Oli. I think they, you know, they did they did well. They obviously missed Cavani quite a lot. It's strange that Suarez, who you know normally you would assume was the was the better of those two players, couldn't really step up to the plate. Um, but yeah, against France, it was just that you know they were they were defensively solid. I thought for for parts of it definitely. But then they just didn't have really, you know, Stuani just didn't didn't offer the same as Cavani at all. Yeah, I'd second that. I think at the end of the day, their their depth, lack of depth in the squad caught, caught up with them. But I kind of feel that they, after that Portugal game, you felt they were building towards something. And I, if they'd had Cavani, that game could be completely different. Yeah, and I think you know, conceding the header from from a set piece mm, as, and to as go they in that did. Way too. Yeah, you you set yourself up to keep things tight until the second half, and then maybe push a bit. When when you concede that goal and then mm. and then later on the the Griezmann shot from nowhere, I guess it's it's just have it you in those scenarios you kind of think this is just not going to happen for us, yeah. um, and the game the game the game state obviously just didn't favour them at all, and so it was a shame it's a shame that the game wasn't more entertaining I think, but at that point France just shut down and it never looked like Uruguay were coming back into it. Mm -mm. The other game that day, though, was the complete opposite. Um, it was an absolute rip-roarer of a game um, that saw, again, Belgium went 2-0 up. Maybe, yeah, against the run of play, I think, up until that point. But then in the second half of that game, they then sat back uh, and dug in and managed to only concede one goal, which took them through to the to the semi-final. Um, <laughs> hard to know where to begin with this game. Where, where, where do you think the game the, this game was won and lost? Accuracy in front of goal. I think Belgium had I've scored it up in front of me three shots on target in the end and ended up scoring scoring twice. Brazil had twenty seven attempts, nine of them were on target and scored once. You know, I think that tells you all you need to know about where that game was won and lost. But they created so much in the second half, Brazil took control of the game, came out a completely different team as they as they did in, in the first period. But just it couldn't couldn't take their chances. I think Neymar created two of the biggest of the game. Um, I can't remember exactly. I think Coutinho might have put one over the bar really late on oh, from about, no, that was yeah, from about so 10 bad. yards out. Yeah. yeah. Point being, you take those chances, it's a different game. You would have been looking at maybe a 4-2 scoreline, for example. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, I think those stats are a little bit unleading, uh, misleading insofar as I think in the second half, Belgium had about three or four chances to break with, with player advantages in terms of uh, outnumbering Brazil. And they didn't even manage to create a chance. And I think from those scenarios you'd usually expect the players of the quality that Belgium have to have created very good chances in those scenarios so I think that probably that probably upset upsets the, the balance a little bit on the stat side of things but I don't think anyone denies that that Brazil had things gone their way a little bit more could easily have come out at least drawing that um, that game um, in terms of Belgium they, they set up in a really interesting way um, we've been expecting them to start with Mertens and Hazard as sort of inside forwards behind Lukaku uh, but um, Martinez started with De Bruyne as a false nine and then had Lukaku on one side and Hazard on the other and, and, and De Bruyne dropped in a little bit deeper and the, the other two sort of overlapped beyond him um, but it also meant that De Bruyne was freed from any defensive responsibilities um, particularly in the first half 
Um, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of people on social media pointing out this is a very Martinez move. He's done similar things at, um, at Everton, albeit with Lukaku and Stephen Naismith instead of uh, <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne. But it's no for like. Yeah. <laughs> um, do we think that 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 was a, a good tactical move, or was it just something that was was a little bit I, lucky? And I a genius. I really think I think complete element of surprise for. For Brazil, they would have not anticipated that at all. I think the talk was, oh, Fellaini will come in and Belgium will go to a midfield three. And I'm sure when they got the team sheet, that's what they expected too. But to see De Bruyne so high up the pitch, how do, how do you react to that? You can't, as much as you say, oh, just treat it as normal, you can't. Um, and De Bruyne got those little pockets, got his fantastic goal. Yeah, I think that's really smart for Martinez. I'm kind of excited to see what he does next against France. It, it just it completely baffled that defence, didn't it? You've got triple threat up front, really. Lukaku working those channels, um, dragging players out of position. De Bruyne just kind of playing in between the lines. Defenders don't know whether to move towards him or to hold position. And Hazard as well, being able to cut in from the left-hand side. You just don't know how to contend with three different players, all of which can move and, and twist and turn in different directions. But I thought, out of the three of them, I thought Lukaku was phenomenal again mm. his movement was was absolutely different league and it just created the space for the other two for the other two to work and he didn't get on the score sheet but he was one of the game's best players mm. for me. I, I think also with with Marcelo liking to push up I think they saw that as a weakness if they move mm. Lukaku out to that right hand mm. side he can stretch that and open up the spaces for Hazard and we saw that happening so much and in, in fact it was Marcelo who was defending De Bruyne when he took when De Bruyne took that shot I think again that was testament to the fact that Belgium were tactically aware where the weak point in that defence lay defensively at, at any rate and, and they targeted that and it came off for them um, does this mean then that Martinez has been wrongly sort of uh, treated by I think there's been the expectation that because he had a poor period at the, at the end of his time at, at Everton that he, he was somewhat uh, overlooked as a, as a manager from a tactical point of view but do you, would you agree that, that people need to start coming out and recognising that he's actually he might be a, of a different league to someone like Didier Deschamps. I think, like Ollie was saying, tournament football is so so different to league football that it's possible for Martinez maybe not to have been like the best the best manager at league level. Although I think you know the, the last few months at Everton were quite tough anyway from a um, from just an atmosphere point of view as well. Yeah. Uh, but I think yeah, like Ollie said, tournament football only a few matches. If you set up with a clear plan, if you have if you have a good plan, then you can go you can go far. And he's shown that. And I think. Um, I think he is a good manager and I don't necessarily think that you, you know just because just because he had a bad time at Everton means it means that he's a bad manager either I think a lot of people were too quick to criticize him for that mm. for me for me it's a strange one I think tact even Kevin De Bruyne questions his tactics during qualifying or was it just after in the in the, in the friendlies and I think although they got off to the tournament a good start every everyone was like is this really the system for them we don't see it working if he hadn't have changed it against Japan they would, they'd be out of the competition and then I guess his form, his hand was forced in a way to change something but we didn't expect the, ha that particular change we just thought De Bruyne was going to go into midfield three and they might go four at the back but to do that I tipped my hat off to him it was, it was a bold move and paid off yeah, and, and I think what's been really interesting with Belgium is the fact that they, when they came out in the three-four-three, which was allegedly the system that they were going to favour, it was it wasn't until they switched that system up that they started playing well. And at, at least I suppose he has recognised that and has been mm. uh, has been humble enough to be able to change it change it around. Um, let's talk about that 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 semi-final then. So France versus Belgium, um, a sort of real. I think it'll be 
the Belgium games I think have been exciting because of their front three and the, their open midfield um, but this look, this feels like another great game the Brazil game was great this one's going to be great um, probably great in a different way though how do we expect this one to go well you, you say that about their openness in their front three but at the same time just to go back to Martinez I think he showed quite a lot of tactical intelligence the way he set out against Brazil and then the way they sat back in the second half as well just showing a different different string to their bow but um, no I, I expect the normal normal service to be resumed with Belgium and I would expect them to take the front foot against France as Deschamps probably looks to sit deep um, how do I think it's going to go it's quite a hard one to call in, in all honesty but I I'd, if I'm putting money I'd, I'd put my money on France they seem even for a younger side more mature in, in terms of tournament mm. football that they are able to get the job done a little bit more than Belgium are perhaps yeah would, would, would you guys agree with this yeah I, this one's really exciting isn't it I think it could, it's got the makings of being one a, a classic World Cup match I'm actually I'm expecting Masters to stick stick with that. I'd like to see Lukaku have a go at um, uh, Hernandez down down that on Lukaku's right flank. And so you think they'll really, match up? They'll I think so. And I think he's just going to target getting in that channel. You know, Hernandez is more in my eyes more of a centre back playing out on the left, as is Pavar centre back playing out on the right, which makes them defensively strong. But you got to test their legs. I think Lukaku's going to look to bully them, try and get in behind. Hernandez is a outright fullback though is he not he's played a lot of because well, Felipe Luis often is left back for so he's most of his games for Atletico apart from when Luis was injured was was you're 100% on that I'm confident I'm not certain but he definitely plays both okay um, yeah so I think yeah try and try and test his legs in behind and it, it should be a good one my worry with Belgium is though I can after producing such a good result against Brazil can they go again I think that's their their big test in terms of France, they it feels as though France haven't really been tested by anyone yet. They've not. They they obviously had to take on Argentina and Uruguay, which on paper looks like quite a tough tough run. But obviously Argentina looked looked poor, and France conceded three against them. I mean, it probably should have been more like two, but even still, it looks as though this France defense is not exactly um, is not exactly. Sterling when it when it uh, is, comes under a huge amount of pressure from a from an attacking unit. Do we think that this could be a question of who scores the goal, the first goal, um, in terms of the the game the game plan? Um, how do you, how do you think that could affect France? Could France simply collapse, or do we even know how good France's defence are? Yeah, I was I was just going to say I think Belgium could really surprise them if they go you know all out from the start, score an early goal. I think um, obviously Pavard's been good for them. But he's not playing in his favoured position, which is which is centre back, and I think they could punish him. I was also going to say that even though a lot of the talk will obviously be about Hazard, Griezmann, and Mbappe, I think the work of Giroud and Lukaku could be really important. Like we said, Lukaku's off the ball contribution has been like immense this tournament, even if he has scored four goals. Mm. And um, I don't think Giroud has actually scored yet, but equally, like his his um, contribution um, off the ball has been really impressive as well. So I think those two, those two could be quite a key, quite a key battle there. Mm. Uh, so, in terms of how we see this one going as a prediction, how how would you how would you pick it? I have a feeling it's going to be quite open in the end, especially if Belgium do score first. France are going to have to come out of their shell and they're going to have to play, but that will most likely end up seeing them vulnerable at the back once more. 
Three two. I I I don't I don't know which way to call it to be completely honest, but I just feel like it's going to be a three two fairly high scoring game. Yeah. Okay. I think two one Belgium. Two one Belgium. Yeah. Okay. Two two. And flip my coin. France on penalties. So you're just going with the status quo. Yeah. It's not like you, is it? <laughs> no. Uh, okay. The other two uh, quarterfinals: Russia versus Croatia, Sweden versus England. Obviously, Russia versus Croatia was the evening game, which was played, I think, for a lot of people under the under the result of an England win and so I, I guess people were maybe not concentrating quite so much as they might have done had it been the other way around uh, but it was this was an open game it was it was good fun it, there was a late equaliser went to extra time penalties um, in terms of in terms of Russia were you surprised that they managed to do, to go so deep in the tournament oh 100% this is the 70th ranked team in the world and credit to them it was, it was a shame because I think if you go back almost a year Russia were building building quite nicely for the World Cup and they just had this massive drop in form they came into the tournament not, could they even get out of the group um, but after, I think that first game against Saudi Arabia just lifted them all crowd were firm behind it and like right we can actually do something and obviously Spain happened credit to them for that and did they run out of steam against Croatia Yes and no. Were, were they lucky to, to take it to penalties? I think so. Um, I think the legs are st legs are starting to uh, to trouble Croatia now after going yeah. going deep two two games in a row. Um, but ma massive credit to Russians. I don't think few gave them a, a prayer ahead of the tournament, and they they can they can head home with their heads held high. Do you think that Russia could have? I mean, they could have won. It was a, it was a penalty shootout. Do you think they deserved to win on on the day? After those penalties, no, so bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what what Fernandez or um, Smolov was it were thinking, <laughs> yeah. but like it's awful, awful. Well, Smolov was too confident, and uh, yeah. Fernandez was, was not confident yeah. enough. <laughs> they only had two takers who had done been in the previous who taken penalties yeah. in the previous match. That said, uh, even then Croatia were were quite lucky. Had um, Modric's penalty not oh, yeah. gone in, which it could very easily not have gone in, um, then then it would have been potentially level and it could have could have could have been entirely different but um that's just the the way th things go in terms of croatia as an opponent for england how are you feeling about that ollie um i'm not feeling as worried as perhaps some people might be when i've watched croatia they haven't outright impressed me i've never sat back and i've, I've said oh my god they were unbelievable that game they had a very very good 45 minutes against argentina aided by the fact that San Paoli's side just self-imploded and, and began pressing ridiculously yeah. and opened a lot of space. So in that game, if it hadn't been for Caballero's error, it could have been a nil-nil. Uh, yeah, or, or Argentina could have won, that's my point exactly. I, but going through into the knockout rounds, they've, they've they've played well, but at the end of the day, they got held by Belgium. They could easily have lost to Russia, uh, by, by Denmark, sorry. They could easily have, have lost to Russia. I don't think there's anything to fear there. And as, as Thomas said, they've just played 120 minutes, two games back to back. This isn't an older squad. They're going to be tired and they don't have as much depth as people like to think to make those sort of changes, especially at a semi-final. I can, I can see England winning. I'm not, not going to beat around the bush. I can mm. see England winning. England fans in England could win this match. Shocker. I'm a neutral. I'm, I'm <laughs> neutral. It's one of those like England can, England can win this match. Can England win the World Cup final? Absolutely not. It's like the two things, they just seem so contradictory. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think England... It, it, we've talked about tournament competition all the way through this and 
Uh, every England just have to take every game as it comes. You know, this is a this is a game where England got good good chance of winning. And if you give, gave them a the option of a semi final with a good chance of winning before the tournament, obviously they would have bitten your hand off. Um, however, at some point it feels as though England. Maybe we should move on to talk about. Maybe we should just talk talk about the England quarter final. Uh, but what I was going to say is, it feels as though England have had an easy go of it so far, and it it feels as though there's going to have to come. Some hardship. I, I, can we can we not say that they've had an easy <laughs> go? We, I mean, we have every right to say this, and I think no. But I, I know they've played on the easiest side of the draw. But at the end of the day, Sweden qualified ahead of okay. uh, Holland. They knocked out Italy. They had a part in knocking out Germany. <laughs> All right. I agree. Okay. I will side. say. That, I won't say. That, oh, oh, I won't, wait, was it? It wasn't easy. Sweden like the unofficial World Cup champions. <laughs> well, like world ranking because if you do it in oh, yeah. the boxing yeah, yeah. format like that so does that mean England are now world champions yeah. I don't think we've played the easy opponents we've I, had easier yeah, than no, we agreed, could but I do think at the same time that England aren't as good as everyone thinks that they are so no but I, I, think, I think that's the cautious part of the optimism I don't know? think there's any cautious part of the optimism well. from what I've seen but um in in terms um, my, my point isn't to say that England have, have, have had it easy but it feels as though this is probably the first the, the Colombia game, I think, would have been different had Colombia come out and, and attacked the whole game. This one feels as though it could be more difficult. For, I mean, and, and the Colombia game was difficult, don't get me wrong. Once, once, the, once the draw came in, um, England had to weather the storm there. But this one feels like it could be 90 minutes of, of, of nerves, which I don't think have been there at any point, really, in, in England's... And, and that's, my, that's what I think is so interesting about their, about their run, is that... You know, you would have, you would have expected them to have a game like Belgium had against Brazil at one point when they were sitting deep and holding on, and and it could have gone either way. Um, do we think that Cro- the Croatia game could be that, or do we think that Cro- Croatia again, uh, not not to really be uh, over overrated? I don't, I don't think we should overrate anybody as long as we give everyone their, their due respect as we've done. I don't think, I don't think we need to overrate anybody. I think we're good enough to beat them. We're, I wouldn't say man for man better than them, but we have a system that's working as do they. But I don't think we're going to find ourselves on the back foot too much. That's not really how Croatia play. They like to play on, on the break and have the players mm-hmm. for that. You know? And Croatia, I think what's been so interesting is that they've got that midfield that is stacked with talent and yet they haven't really looked like they've clicked. And I think part of that might be to do with what we've talked about with tournament football and this World Cup in particular where midfield seem to be being bypassed quite a lot um, and space is opening out in the middle and, and it just it, it very quickly becomes either you defend um, deep and, and clear the ball away and just invite attacks or it becomes so open in terms of ha- counter-attacking that the midfield doesn't really seem to need to be there anyway you just drive through the midfield area and you're already at the I other mean, side I disagree with that to an extent because Modric and Rakitic for that matter have been Croatia's arguably their, their best players I think the difference is that they are perhaps when they are losing midfield control and, and you're encouraged to bypass they are just getting into positions and taking control of the game and, and picking out players in the final third or, or slowing down tempo or whatever but they are stepping up and taking control of situations sure. but I think were, were the football more like domestic football then Croatia would clearly be favourites going into this and I just don't feel as though they, they are in, in, in that respect I don't think England will suffer for having the midfield that they have against what is arguably one of the best midfields in the in, in the tournament um, yeah let's talk about England Sweden then um, I, I remind you guys that I said I think it's going to be 2-0 I think it's actually going to be quite easy and it, it did turn out that way Ooh. so um, the oracle over there <laughs> well, it's about the first time I've said anything that's correct which is why I've brought it up this World Cup um, but uh, yeah my question was, was going to be I mean Sweden offered very little um, 
the England carried on doing what they've been doing so well, set pieces, a great header from, from a corner that was very well worked by England. And if you if you look through what was happening there, the, the fact that Sterling was used as a almost like a defensive pick like mm. they do in, in basketball, blocking off the, the runner, well, Gronkvist for, for, um, for Maguire so that he could get into that space on the penalty spot. The ball was great, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was it was very good. Sweden though did have some chances, um, and it felt as though Jordan Pickford actually did did play a part in that. I know there's a lot of hype about him after the the, the last game against Colombia, where he, where he saved the penalty and, and had that save at the end. Um, could this have been a little bit more difficult for England had had Pickford not made those saves? I'm thinking of there's a Marcus Berg header mm-hmm. um, close range that was actually low to the keeper's left and, and was a very good save. Mm. And then then there was that there was the interchange in the in the England penalty area where I think was it Berg again who yeah, yeah. Had yeah. The yeah. chance yeah. yeah and and that was a save was that. Jordan Henderson maybe blocked it or something. Pickford saved it. Yeah, Pickford saved it and then Henderson blocked it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, So, uh, was 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 this a case of Pickford making things look nicer for England, or was was it just never in doubt? I don't. don't, It I don't think it wasn't in doubt in the end. If you look back on on the course of events, but that Berg chance when it was one nil and Pickford kept it out with a a really good save low, I think was to his right that one. it had that gone in I just think the issue or the the fear was, was England would have kind of retreated into themselves a bit mm. and it, it would have knocked off because we, we were playing well and we were confident in what we were doing and it would just would have knocked us slightly and then the problem becomes when Henderson's not as confident to pick up the ball and play passes in over the top Sterling mm. might not be as confident enough to take players on 1v1 you know and everyone's worried that oh, if I miss this pass or I make a mistake here they could break on us and at that point then I think you have to start worrying but you know thankfully it didn't happen mm. and we, we don't live to, to see no, it really. Southgate said himself if one of those had gone in you're, you're barraging against yeah. balls coming into your, yeah. your yeah, box I, the, the last yeah, Sweden would have grown in confidence mm. as well and that, that creates problems as, as much as Pickford's saves were good I think he would have been we slash he would have been disappointed if he'd he'd let any of those in but I think it was the fact that they were strong saves they looked rather they didn't look yeah. it wasn't one that he got a fingertip on it they were strong they went away from the from the goal mouth so what about uh, Raheem Sterling obviously he had a couple of chances um, there was the one where he was offside which I think he was really screwed over by the fact that the linesman had been told not to yeah. signal offsides because he probably would have preferred that that had been called offside before he missed it but the other one a delightful pick out of the air mm. um, from a Jordan Henderson ball um, and w- to be fair to him he went the right way around the keeper the keeper Put a, got a hand on it which was impressive should have passed it should have yeah. hit it back towards Kane is that the not the, is that, my question would be was that not the, is this not the result of so much pressure being on Sterling to score in the media and social media mm. that he felt as he was trying to get his goal there um, and to what extent do we think that, that actually that could be a negative consequence of, of people hating on him mm. I, I think it's already been highlighted how his off the ball work what he's doing for Southgate's side is so important I would say yeah his finishing was poor Um, you know no matter what role you're playing you should be putting away at least one of those chances and I think a goal would just do like we said before would just do wonders for his confidence Um, but at the same time I'm not sure I think he probably does need it from a confidence point of view but from the role he's playing he doesn't necessarily need to score you know if if Kane and others are are getting the goals if he'd have set Kane up I think certainly yeah exactly Um, I I also think that we're in a sort of funny we're in a sort of funny bind with Sterling because there is one sentence in which I think the abject criticism of him is just wide of the mark and it's based on this idea that he should be scoring on the other hand 
he he hasn't had the greatest World Cup. He has been useful functionally, I think, but he hasn't been as good as as I think some people are making out as a sort of backlash against the people who are criticizing him. Um, and I think the solution. I mean, the question has to be: Do we think that Rashford would have done better in that system? Do we think that? Because for me, I think Sterling's performing well enough to justify his place. Mm. But everyone seems to think that that Rashford would would go in and would would be scoring. I don't think points. Rashford make makes that kind of run. I don't think Rashford gets on the end of that ball. He might yeah. do, but I just that's a I like Sterling doing that, and it's just such a shame when you just and you probably will agree with me when he gets in that position, yeah. you're not you're not confident. No. You don't back him at all. Like even he, he, as you said, he went the right way around the goalkeeper, but it was quite a loose control. Yeah, it's just. It's a real shame because we know how good this player is. Yeah, but he's just lacking that little bit at the moment. Well, you know what? If we're if we're still scoring goals, mm. and I, I, it's, it just it's not a problem the fact that he's not scoring. Obviously, it would have been nice to for him to score and it relieves some of the pressure. But as long as we're getting the job done without him, I think he's done enough to justify his place. As you say, he's, mm. he's performing his role well, and I don't think as much as I like Rashford as a player, and, and yeah, he might have converted a couple of those chances. He's younger and. Playing as a second striker, perhaps not his not his best position. Whereas Sterling is is confident between the lines and has experience playing as a central attacking midfielder mm. for for Liverpool back in in his earlier days. Mm. And it's that sort of intelligent movement that I don't think Rashford is is mm. going to be able to do at this stage in his career. Perhaps one day, sure. And it's the, it is that movement that's winning free kicks and, and fouls and, and opening up space. And that's why I, th- I think he deserves to be playing. Well, I mean, we could talk about England all day long, but I think we should move on to start talking about the the predictions for the semi final England Croatia. How do we see this one going, and what score would you predict? Um, I think it's going to be really cagey again. The opening exchange is probably going to come down to a set piece or two, just like Sweden. Um, but I want to be confident predicting England one nil, but I, I can't see that happening. I think Croatia will score eventually. Could go to extra time. I think Croatia looked quite poor defending from set pieces at least um, and obviously like England have just scored you know they've scored eight goals from set pieces the most uh, major tournament since 1966 for Portugal um, so I think it could come down to that like Oli says um, I still think it will be tight though I think a lot depends on where and how Dalic uses Modric and Rakitic because against Russia they were so ineffective when they were just the two at the back but then when Brozovic came on they could kind of mm. well Modric at least could kind of push forward and that made a real difference uh, so I think it'll be tight but 2-1 England 2-1 England it, for me it's just England just need to get to that first half an hour and you, we, we all know that in the second half of the second half that Croatia the, they're going to be super leggy Yeah. so um, if if they can get through I think England are going to take this 1-1 now wow I don't like saying it. I don't like saying it. Sweden were going to win. I know. After extra time, so you must be feeling. You must be feeling very confident. I'm not like. I'm confident that the white team will beat the Croatian team, but when you, as soon as I say it's England, it just doesn't sit right. But no, I think they'll they'll do it. I'm going to say. I think England are going to win. I don't. Again, I don't think it's going to be that hard. I think they're going to be quite confident, winning quite confidently. Um, but I think that's always, we've always known that, that England have, have got a really good chance of getting to the final. The question is what's going to happen when they get there. Right, that concludes our, our summary of the, the quarters and, and of predictions for the semis. Um, the semi-finals obviously kick off tomorrow, so we will be back tomorrow with 
some form of podcast i think i'm not entirely sure what we'll talk about we'll probably talk about more general world cup stuff and then we'll be back to uh, review the the semi-final look forward to the, the the england game as well so um again final reminder we are available on itunes subscribe rate review if you are a facebook person you can like our page at real sport and and twitter all of our football content goes at real sport goals Instagram at RealSport101 and our content is at the website www.realsport101.com. Thanks for listening.